thanks God for the opportunity to worship you for the ability to be here we pray for those that cannot come for those that are watching online for those that will watch online we pray for those that have not been able to be with family for a while But I want to specifically pray before the sermon for those who do not know of your love, for those that do not know who you are, for those that have not experienced your love through those that are around them. I want to pray for those that feel judged. I want to pray for those that feel less. And I want to pray for us, your followers, that many, many times we are the ones judging. We are the ones making others feel less. So I pray that if we can be your hands and feet, that we can truly represent who you are, what your nature is. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Has anybody watched Goodwill Hunting this week? You just you just watched the. Three minutes YouTube refresh, refresher. No worries. It will now be key to, to the sermon today. But before I, um, before I move, so today I want to talk about Jonah. It's, um, it's another fascinating book. It's another fascinating person. But before I go to Jonah, in order to make the point a little bit more clear about where I'm going. We need to talk about who God is or what God is. So it's going to be like a two minute boot camp on that. And so when the, the tree that was uh, on fire was talking to Moses, Moses said, okay, who should I tell people is sending me? And the three answer, don't go there yet. Nobody? I am. And then what else does it say? I am who? I am who I am. Okay, we have there. There we go. I am who I am. So you other have read this in the Bible or you saw Prince of Egypt, the Disney movie. It's there too. Um, you probably saw this in the very old classic Moses movie. Was the Ten Commandments? So wherever you and Sunday school class, children's schools, what you read is "I am who I am," and it's one of those things that we heard it so many times that doesn't even cross our mind there might be something a little bit different 
that might change everything. So the Hebrew will go something like this, a year, a sure, a year, which means I will be what I will be. So when a Jewish person reads this passage, it doesn't read, I am who I am. What they read is, I will be whom I will be, or I will be what I will be. Complicated? It will, it will mean kind of like, by my nature, my nature will become evident from my actions. No, I am who I am. I'm not, he wasn't, God wasn't telling Moses, let me explain to you who I am. Let me explain to you what I am. No. What God was telling Moses is, you will see who or what I am when you see me in action. My nature will become evident from my actions. And now, I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. And I will remind you about this um, throughout the sermon. God's nature will become evident through God's actions. And it's like, for example, Jesus never said he was God. But his actions were showing that he was God. He was doing God-like things. He didn't have to say, I am God. Whoever, whoever saw what Jesus was doing knew like, well, you are definitely the one that we were expecting. You didn't have to say it. We just saw what you were doing. It didn't change. It was the same from the beginning. My, God's nature was going to become evident by God's action. And now, with this in the back of your mind, messing your entire life up, you know, like you can go home and say like, I thought this was this way and this crazy pastor told me that was different. Let's move to uh, a few comp- uh, comparisons between Jonah and Esther, because these two characters could not be more different. Yet, the same movie, Good Will Hunting, remind me of these two. So we have jo- Jonah and we have Esther. A few differences between them. The people that were in danger in the history of Esther were the Jewish, well, the Hebrews people, were the Jewish people. The people that were in danger in Jonah's story were non-Jewish people, were the people from Nineveh, uh, um, Metropolis. Jonah was a prophet. Esther was a regular woman, then later on became a king, a queen. Esther wanted to save people. Jonah wanted people to die. Esther was being led and guided by her uncle. Jonah was being led and guided directly by God, which he make like even more crazy that he wanted people to die. Uh, While Esther ended up realizing that she was where she was in order to save people, when Jonah realized that he was where he was in order to save people, he decided to run away. Esther got in the belly of the beast in order to save people, and Jonah got in the belly of the beast in order to escape, escape the possibility of saving people. So these two could not be more different. Once again, the Bible is showing us that just 
It is men who screw everything up. Just saying. But there was one similarity between both of them. Both of their destinies was to save people. Like, I think Mordecai, Esther's uncle, said it the best way. Maybe you are where you are just for this. Not saying that your life is going to be meaningless from now on, but this is your purpose. Everything was traced in a way that you are going to be the key person. And it seems like Jonas was the same. Now, this guy, Jonah, he was the most atypical prophet you can find in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, we find around 11 prophets that had a similar role to Jonah. But he was the only one who rebels against God and take practical steps in order to prevent the fulfillment of the desire that God had. We're talking about a prophet. His whole job was to say what God wanted him to say. That was, that was everything. Yet he just, he was the only prophet of all the prophets in the Old Testament who was taking steps and plan a way to not carry on that order. And as atypical as that was, he was also the most successful prophet in the Old Testament. He, the other prophets, when they were bringing news of salvation and repentance, they either um, were beat up to death or killed or put in prison. People hated them. They didn't like them. But Jonah, he was so successful that in the book, says that even the animals repent. Now, people, dog owners, we know when our, our pets talk to us. You know, if you don't love pets, you're missing something. We, uh, I know when my dog is sorry. So, like, my dog is in love with their dog, and he was sorry for it. <laughs> He was not leaving their dog alone. It was, he was the worst. Um, but when I got close, he realized that he was in trouble. But people in, in the Old Testament stories, they did not usually repent it. And this guy, who did not want to go there, even the animals repented. That's how successful what he did was. Though the only prophet who made plans to not make things happen yet was the most successful one. And I think also this shows a little bit of God's sense of humor. Uh, but it's, it's extremely impressive. Um, and, and this book has so much information in it. They, they, we can get so many things. And it's like the book of Esther. It's really hard to just preach from, from a couple of passages from it. So I, I like to take the book as a whole and just pick in some passages to, to put everything in context. But the book of Jonah could be about the power of God and repentance. The book of Jonah could be about retributive justice. The book of Jonah could be about grace. But the way that I want to approach it is from God's universalist approach to creation and Jonah's nationalistic tendencies. 
God's universal approach to creation and Jonah nationalistic tendencies, which is a big reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. So when Jonah is in the boat, he's struggling with a group of people, and the sea starts going crazy, and they think they're going to die, and this guy is just resting. He is at peace. And they ask him, hey, where are you from? Who, who are you? And this is his answer. I am a Hebrew. He replied, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I'm going to read it once again, because I think this is very important. Because in the original language, there is some power that came with what he was saying. There's a pride. I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and made the dry land. He was proud of who he was. Now, the irony is saying, I worship this God, yet he was right in the middle of just not evading that God. So he's kind of like saying, yes, I worship this God, but I honestly don't care about what this God wants me to do, because I don't like it. We see like a little bit of dysfunction there in, in Jonah. But he was strong about, I am a Hebrew. And in the way that is expressed in that context, it's kind of like saying, I am better than you all. Because my God is the God, not like your God. And he was so proud of his origins. He was so fixated in the glory of Israel that he didn't care about dying and not saving other people. He, if he was going down, he didn't care that he was taking a lot of people in the boat with him. He preferred to die before going to Nineveh and telling people what God asked him to tell them. This is what he says to them. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come, has come upon you. He says, he was saying, I, I prefer to die that go and tell these people that they need to repent. And it wasn't because he was afraid of them. He just didn't want them to repent. He wanted them to die. So we have a guy who knows what his calling is to share God's news with people. A guy who's proud of his origins. I am a Hebrew. A guy who worships the Lord, the God of um, the God uh, from above, who created the dry land and the sea, but still did not care about carrying those good news that God gave him to carry. Does anybody comes to your mind when you you see that like people like I worship God, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spread that that good news. He, when you are so focused on your own surrounding, when you are, your circle is the same and your circle just looks like you and you don't take steps to get out of the circle, all you see is that your circle is the best. And 
that happens at a country level too. I think with internet, things got easier for everybody to see what's going on around the world, but many, many countries thought that they were the best of the best. Like, probably the only Argentinian you know, but we are very proudful people. Now, we have no money, yet we are the best. We have the best soccer player in the world. We have an NBA champion. We have a queen, the Queen of Holland. She's Argentinian. The Pope is Argentinian. We, we, we have a lot of things to brag. We have the best meat. Nobody can deny that. You're in the wrong church if you deny that. Um, but it's this idea that we are the best, and that created some issues. Let me read before you put it there. Don't, don't put it there yet. I'm going to read something to you. We must always consider, this person said, that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. Today the eyes of all people are truly upon us and our governments in every branch, at every level, national, state, and local. Must be a city upon a hill, constructed and inhabited by men aware of the great trust and the great responsibilities. A city upon a hill. That was... Um, Kennedy. And Ronald Reagan also said it later on, say the same thing, that we are a shining city on a hill. Like the U.S. is supposed to illuminate the entire world. It's in the hands of the U.S. to bring peace to the entire world. It's in the hands of the U.S. The U.S. is the chosen people of God. And there's a reality. As a former missionary, I can confirm that the U.S. has been the country who most missionaries sent around the world. The U.S. has been the country who more organizations created around the world to help people. The U.S. has been the country who most money invested around the world to help people. So good things are happening. Like the U.S. had this tendency of, yes, to help have that this tendency of help, of extend money, create organizations, send missionaries still. It's still the country who most missionaries sends around the world. But what happened, or what have we seen happening, when those people that we want to help, or the U.S. wants to help around the world, come to the U.S.? People are not very excited about that. I remember, and I think uh, there was a World Cup, I don't remember which one right now, that the U.S., a uh, soccer World Cup, that the U.S. was doing really well. And the most interesting thing that I saw in the news is that they were seeing that as degrading. Oh, now the U.S. cares about soccer. That's not an American sport. That's something that people brought to this country. It was seen as something that was not good. And, and you hear, well, they bring their crimes, they bring their culture, we want to stop being who we are. And that view of we are a city upon a hill, untouchable, we will help you. And, and it happens in churches in general. It is easier to write a check than to hang with people. It, we will love to help groups of people, but I don't know if we are excited about them being in our church. That is the kind of view that Jonah had. 
I am a Hebrew. I follow this God. I am American. We have been, our constitution has been based in Christian values. Anything else that is against that is an enemy. We, the, everybody else doesn't deserve what we have. And Jonah's view was very similar. Because I'm pretty sure he knew. So let me just read two passages uh, to you. One from uh, Numbers and the other one from First Samuel. The one from Numbers says, God is not a human being that should lie or a moral that should change his mind. He has promised and he will um, has he promised and he will not do it? He has spoken and he will not fulfill it? Has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? And then in First Samuel says, Moreover, the glory of Israel will not recant or change his mind. For he is not a mortal that he should change his mind. So constantly, over and over again, what the people of Israel were hearing is that the glory of Israel will be great. The nations will be blessed by Israel. We are the chosen one. We are God's children. Everybody else? Eh. But we are. And that's, we're talking about thousands of years ago and still countries see themselves as in that way. Especially countries who embrace their Christian value and that, well, we are the chosen people of God. We are the city on, on the hill. The idea that, and, and it's not different than, and I'm telling, I'm saying as an Argentinian who grew up looking up to the U.S., it was this idea that God is with the U.S. because of the prosperity that the country has. And then when I was learning history, I'm like, oh, that's the same train of thought that the Romans had. Oh, the gods are with us because we keep conquering. We keep winning, that means that God is with us. And that's an interesting view of God, especially if we understand, we, we look a little bit of scripture and realize that God is always with the little guy, not with the big guy. And the big, the, the massive nations that we see in the scripture were not godly nations. Well, that should be scary if your nation is powerful. So I think this is what was in the back of Jonah's head. I, if I do this, if I go and share that God loves them and God wants them to repent, then we're not as longer special. Because if, if we are the chosen one, we are the ones who, who, who get God's love and, and second opportunity. Why are these people that are not even descendants of Abraham going to get the same benefit that we get? And do you remember when I shared last week if God does something that we feel the contrary scripture, will we tell God to go back in that box that we carved? Or shall we question our interpretation of scripture? You tell me what is better. Should we tell God to get in the box? Or I think it's just better for us to, to check ourselves and see if what we are thinking is right. Stop. It's not really that complicated. And I think that was also in Jonah's head because he knew that Israel was God's people. But he also knew God. 
Because this is what he says. Oh, Lord. Is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is what I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful, a slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishment. He, Jonah hated that. The idea that the God that he worshipped loves other people. The idea that the God that he was worshipping loved people that he disliked. The idea that the God that he worshipped loved people that he thought were in the wrong. Every, if if it looks like the present, it's just pure coincidence. Or not. There's nothing new under the sun. We're still thinking, we still have a hard time realizing that horrible, beautiful truth that God loves even the people that we despise. Think about the, think about a person in your life that you, you think like, I just want that person to keep doing what it's doing. So that person will learn. I remember my mom saying when I was a kid, because uh, I was being bullied when I was a kid a lot. Uh, I wasn't a bully. I was being bullied. Um, and my mom's phrase was like, just let it be. You will see when he grows up, he's going to end up really bad. And, and it was that hope that, that my mom's teaching created in me, like, oh, I hope he never changes so he gets what is coming to him. And, and this is what God is saying. It's like, it's like if God would have come to me and say, okay, when go now to Hector. Hector was his name. He made my, my life miserable. And saying, go, actually, he became a Christian. Um, he came one day knocking the door, uh, giving Bibles away. I think, and I was a Christian too. I was, I've been bullied a lot now that I'm thinking. Because there was one day I visited my mom's church, and there was another guy who beat the out of me. And then he was preaching at my mom's church. Um, and I didn't like it. I felt so bad because I'm like, they got away with this. They got away with the things they did to me when they were, I was a kid. The scars that I still have. Like, I, I'm terrified of my son, Keen. I'm terrified that he will get bullied because it was bad for me. I'm terrified of what kids will do. Kids are mean sometimes. Right, teachers? <laughs> They're, like, complicated. But it's this horrible, beautiful truth that even the God loves these people and God will allow them to get away with that if they just say, yeah, it's okay. I think it's time for me to, to stop this life. And then you're thinking, damn, that was too easy. God said, my nature, so I, I will be what I will be. My nature will become evident from my actions. And I think that was the hard realization that Jonah had. I knew you were a merciful God. I knew 
that you had abundant step love, uh, step for love. I knew that you were relent from punishing. The nature that Jonah learned, or that we learned through Jonah's story, is that God's nature is love. So, and we like to say, oh, we love everybody. But I think we all know, like, so I don't know if Ronnie, my wife, I'm saying that because she's not here right now. Hopefully she will not watch the sermon later. But there were many times that I say, I love you. And she's like, show it to me. Clean the house. Take care of the kids. Okay. You say you say that you love me, but it's because you know, I'm Latino. We're romantic. We show our love by singing, writing poems, um, saying beautiful things with a sweet accent in your ear. But Ronnie wanted actions. So, and, and so we know that love is an action. We, you can say that you love somebody all you want, but if you don't act lovingly, that person doesn't feel the love, and it's the same we hate. You can say, I don't hate these people, by your actions might be louder than what your words are saying. In the same way that love is shown through actions, hate is also shown through actions or the lack of thereof. And we read in scripture that God showed his love in this, that gave his only son for us. Love is shown by actions. The nature of love of God is love. And if we become one with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, our nature changes too. And that should be our nature too. Our nature should be love. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Based on Jonas, are we individually and communally participating in the process of blocking other people from receiving the love of God? Are we expecting our churches to be a magnet to people? Or we expect to be a church that goes out? Like, one of the hardest things we do is our monthly mission. It's just once a month, but it's really hard for our church to go out. Another church that I was part of, they had like 300 members. We got like 50 people to do those mission things. Going out is really hard. Getting people in it doesn't reflect here. Getting people in is easier. It will show. <laughs> but going out is the harder part. Are, are we blocking the love of God from other people? Are we actively acting in a way that make people realize that God loves them? Are we truly showing God's nature, or are we letting ourselves to be limited by our own understanding of Scripture? God reveals God's self through creation. Scripture, it's another tool to know our God, but God reveals God's self through creation. And when we focus in one thing and we are human beings. We're limited. We have fault. We, we're not perfect. So everything that we think we understand is imperfect. So we limit God. 
Are we allowing ourselves to be limited by our own limitations? Are we limiting God with our, by our own limitations of understanding Scripture? My nature will become evident by my actions. When we read Scripture now, when we learn history in the world, when we hear about how amazing creation is and how perfect, we could all agree that God's nature is love. And if we are one with God, in the same way that Jesus was one with God, then our nature changes. When we become one with God, God doesn't take our nature, we take God's nature. So our nature is love. And sometimes it's not only pride, sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's not only pride and fear, sometimes it's ignorance. But we need to start moving, we need to start acting in our love as people, as a community, as a church, to show if we, like, there, there's this hand, let me be your hands and feet. Um, when I was a missionary, they say missions are done with the knees of those that pray. No, the hands of those that give, the knees of those that pray, and the feet of those that go. We need to, it's, it's a whole body that needs to move in one action. We cannot stay steady. Love is shown by actions. People will know who we are from our actions. And this is something that I love about the Methodist Church, the open table. Because this is the biggest representation of God's love. It doesn't matter if you're baptized or not. It doesn't matter if you're United Methodist or not. It doesn't matter if you have never been in a church before, you can come and participate from it. Because this is Jesus' table, and Jesus welcomed everybody. And God showed God's nature through this, that gave the only son for us. And in that night, he took the bread and they were not even aware that Jesus was loving them. They were not even aware that he was ready to die for them. He took the bread and said, this is my body that will be broken for you. And then took the cup and said, this is my blood that will be shed for the healings of the nation. And this elements, in this action that we remember today, we see God's nature. They kind of act that transcends time. So God, we pray. That you bless this cup, that you bless this bread, that can be a remembrance of who you are, of what you are. And that we can take upon the mantle and share that nature with you. That we can act in love for others, and in the same way 
you gave yourself for us, that we can give ourselves for others. So friends, hear the good news, that even though we were sinners, Christ died for us, showing God's love. So with that confidence of being daughters and sons of God, I invite you to stand, if you're able, and pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us, and you can do it in whatever language you are more comfortable. Padre nuestro, que estás en el cielo, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga a nosotros tu reino, hágase tu voluntad en la tierra como en el cielo. El pan nuestro de cada día, dánoslo hoy, y perdona nuestras ofensas, así como nosotros perdonamos a quienes nos ofenden. No nos dejes caer en tentación, mas líbranos del mal, porque tuyo es el reino, tuyo es el poder, y tuyo es la gloria. Amén.